Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we are talking to Rebecca Bonebreaker. She has worked with me, Stacy, on, we'll say one and a half shows, because we just started a second show kind of together. Um, she was the lighting designer for Man of God at East West Players, and she's currently the lighting designer for Hannah and the Dread Gazebo, which is a co-production between the Fountain Theater and East West Players. She does lighting all over Southern California for theater and events and dance, uh, but she also has a full-time job, and surprisingly, it's also in lighting, where she does more architectural event lighting for places like Universal Studios and apparently a couple garages or parking structures, which should be interesting to hear about. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, slight correction, there's no R at the end of bone break. It's just bone break. Oh, But it is a very common thing to turn it into bone breaker. I, bone I breaker is pretty bone exciting. Breaker, though. Yes. Especially very since common. you do roller derby, I think it fits in very appropriately. Sure, yes. It, uh, it is very appropriate and like, <laughs> very common. <laughs> is that a um, your name, like maiden name or married name? or? It is It is my maiden name and I and I am married and did not take, uh, I left it bone break. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> hard to beat break. that name. So yeah, I can it's definitely kind, Yeah, I kind of, it's, it's definitely a good part of my identity. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so how did you get into theater and then into lighting? Um, I have always done theater. My elementary school had a really active uh, theater program um, that I started um, doing shows with when I was, I want to say, second or third grade. Um, so, and I just loved it. So it was rehearsals after school, um, you know, normal elementary school stuff, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Peter Pan, stuff like that. Um, and I, I really wanted to go. elementary school did anything. Like, we didn't even have theater until high school. So that's so cool. No, no, no. In junior in high, they had it. We saw like one show when we were at Clement or Cope, one of them. Oh, okay. Well, definitely not elementary school. Yeah, it was it was such a popular program that after I left, they started double casting everything because they had so many kids that wanted to be involved. So they'd have like two different casts for the musical. That's that amazing. Um, it was it was really pretty fantastic. Um, I actually really wanted to go to a performing arts middle school. My parents were like, "Nah, it's a phase." Uh, so I went to a <laughs> to a humanities middle school, but I still I still continued to do theater. Um, I actually got involved in an opera company uh, in middle school. One of our theater teachers um, sang in a local opera company, so she pulled a few of us in, um, just performing. Um, but they let me go to a performing arts high school, so I went to performing arts magnet high school, um, where I kind of did everything. I did a lot of acting, but I started doing some directing. Um, I did some costume design, some props design. Um, I didn't really actually do any lighting, but I, I helped with the lighting. Like I have specific memories about like pulling source fours and like helping hang them. Um, so I, I just tried to kind of want to get my hands on everything. Um, yeah. So then I, in, in undergrad, um, I was a theater major and I needed to get a job. So I got a job at the, uh, the roadhouse on campus. So not really associated with theater company, but, um, separate. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, uh, it, I basically, you know, I got paid to crew um, cultural events that came through the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of um, the music department on on campus did their shows there, but also, um, you know, touring dance companies and uh, cultural music, stuff like that. Um, and I did audio and sound or audio and lighting, but I really liked the lighting more. And um, actually, the grad students were doing in the theater program did a dance show in the space that I helped a lot on and got me really interested. So I signed up for lighting class, and then I enjoyed it so much that I started that sort of became my focus in undergrad. Did you go to school to do theater, or did you just go to school and did theater until it became a major? It was my major. It was always my major. I just didn't really, I, I was taking all the classes and hadn't really picked a focus, um, which is, um, you know, apropos of lighting. Um, so yeah. then I eventually focused on lighting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cheap Did- joke, cheap joke. <laughs> I got it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm trying to take notes, fat, you know, keeping my head like with my fingers. Uh, you yeah. also went to grad school at UC San Diego, did you mm-hmm. did you take any time off or did you know halfway through undergrad you wanted to go to grad school? Um, I didn't. I uh, I definitely took some time off and I, I, I definitely wanted some time off. After a few years of school, I was like, ah. Um, yes. So yeah, I actually, I came back to LA and I, um, I had a full-time job working at uh, Caltech, um, which is a very science-based school, but they have an auditorium there. And I was the lighting person at their auditorium. So they did have some cultural events as well that came through some dance, some music. Um, but it was also a lot of like um, JPL conferences and lectures. Um, mm-hmm. I did turn on like lights, Stephen turn Hawking lights. a few times, which was fun. Ooh, nice. that is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely interesting. It was a good learning experience. It was a really good first job, um, full time, you know, and it also allowed me to do, um, to, to do theater outside of it as well. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't actually discover or start focusing on lighting until halfway through undergrad. Um, and I finished in three years. So it was really like a year and a half of experience. I really did need to go, you know, work. Um, you know, that, that job was great. Um, and my experience at my job in school definitely helped me get that job. Um, but then I was able to do a bunch of local theater in LA during those three years before I went back to school. What made you decide? Yeah. Yeah. Why did you choose San Diego again? Um, you know, I applied to um, a bunch of different places and I got into a few. Um, but UC San Diego just has a really strong program. Their uh, their acting program is, you know, the top three in the nation. Uh, they have uh, MFA in choreography and directing and playwriting. You know, they have sort of all the different departments. Um, they have mm-hmm. a really strong relationship with the Hoy Playhouse. Um, it was, mm-hmm. you know, designing in the Playhouse's spaces. Um, and the uh, Emmy and the crew at the Playhouse were our Emmy and crew, which I really learned a lot from. Um, and assisting the designers that came through there. It's just a really strong program. Um, and the professor that I, um, the lighting professor that was there when I was an undergrad, um, unfortunately had passed away in the three years that I was gone. So there was a new lighting professor. So um, as much as I loved the previous one, you know, had he still been there, you know, I may have chosen somewhere else to get like a different perspective. Um, right. But it, it felt sort of new enough uh, to me with, with a different professor. That makes sense. We just talked to uh, Anna Robinson, and she comes from <laughs> UC San Diego, <Yeah>. too. <laughs> Lots of people seem to come through UC San Diego, and I meet up at East West Players. I guess Andy came from UC San Diego. Yes. 
I yep. think most of the uh, team from. I I did I did know and uh, work with Andy when I was there. Um, I think in undergrad, sometimes those those times mush together. But I think that was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, was such a big program, especially in California. And so, of course, being from mm-hmm. Southern California, I feel like that's just yeah. the place where everybody goes. Yeah, and I uh, Chalk Rep, the theater company that I'm involved in, was founded by um, uh, four uh, women alumni from the program. Um, and you know we have a we have a our membership now our artistic circle is about I think fourteen people now and it's not all UCSD but it's definitely the the mafia runs strong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Were you born and raised out here in Southern California? I was. Uh, I am a, a Valley girl. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in uh, the San Fernando Valley. Do you live there now? I know you do ro- roller derby up there. I do. I don't live there, though. Um, I actually live in Lincoln Heights, just outside of uh, downtown. Okay. So it's not too far of a drive to get. It's well, not, not that miles, bad. It can but... be 30 to 45 minutes. <laughs> a little bit of a trek. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, for L.A., that's not. That's yeah, no, I was about though. to say, I was like, geez, I can barely get out of Brooklyn in 45 minutes. Yes, thankfully I work in Glendale, which is a pretty sweet drive. Or not, you know, it's pretty pretty decent from where I live, and to get to downtown or you know, to the valley. Yeah, not bad. It takes me forty five minutes to get from Long Beach to Little Tokyo. (laughs) Yeah, I bet it does. (laughs) How did you get into architectural design? Um, I. Was after after grad school, I uh, did freelance for three to four years, um, and uh, it was you know there was some really good things about it, but it was also just very stressful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, living living on my own, um, you know, only income being freelance, and you know, there's there's busy seasons and there's slow seasons. And my fall mm-hmm. and my spring would always be super busy, and then I'd always have like you know a month around the new year and a, and a month or two in in summer that'd be slow. Um, and I was looking around for jobs um, that were, you know, lighting related that would let me still do lighting on the side. Um, and uh, I had actually done a little bit um, of related work um, uh, with uh, Radiance Lightworks at Halloween Horror Nights um, for a couple years. So that was sort of a little bit, uh, a little bit of dipping my toes in. Um, but I found a, a, a job uh, with a company, a local company called Thinkwell, um, that uh, essentially is a, is a creative team that does all the creative design um, for uh, themed-based entertainment. So theme parks and other like museums, traveling shows like that. Um, and I worked for them for nine months on a theme park that's in Abu Dhabi that opened last year. Um, Did you get to go I, out there? I did not. It, uh, I, I was with the company through, uh, the design development phase. So pretty much all of the on, you know, paperwork, uh, work. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the designers from our team of four did travel out there and was there for most of a year, I want to (laughs) say. Um, yeah, I've been working on a couple theme parks in the last couple of years that should be built by next year and I'll probably be on site, um, out of state and out of the country for those. <laughs> so how, like, I know, we know theater and you get a set design and you come up with ideas, but then you have to be there to like 
focus and program and all that, how do you spend nine months designing something you've never actually seen? Is it all just based on other people's designs and pictures and working off of that? Yeah, it's it's um, it's definitely um, a slight brain shift to design for a space that you can't see until it's built, and it's also obviously more permanent, right? It's mm-hmm. um, you know you can't you can walk into a theater and move a light if it's not working, but you can't really move something recessed into a ceiling. Um, so it's so a little different. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of um, you know we do we do a lot of work in 3D. Um, some of our projects are in AutoCAD, but a lot of them are in a 3D program. Um, that, you know, does help sort of visualizing where things are going to go. Um, there's a lot of other tools. I get a lot of, um, sometimes smaller stuff I'll get in SketchUp where the interior designer has put everything in SketchUp and gives me a nice 3D view of things. Um, also, uh, not all of our contracts take us into the, the final phase where we're on site. So sometimes, uh, we will just hand over our design and then they will do with it what they will (laughs) so that extra phase is something they have to you know hire us for that work to come on site and um hopefully not nine months (laughs) it depends on the size of the project and the difficulty um i did a museum uh last year in idaho that was just two days of just running around focusing lights um yeah so it kind of varies per project do are those are very interesting i never would have thought of just like not being there for like focus yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you do in those situations, you do your best to, uh, you know, provide enough information that if you're not there, um, that who, you know, whoever is there will, um, you know, like get somewhere close to what you intended. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But a lot, you know, uh, at least with, with some of the bigger projects, when that happens, it's, it's usually because it's in another country. So they have someone local that will, you know, interpret your design. They don't mm-hmm. have to pay for you to fly out and hotel and cars and all yeah. that stuff. Or, yeah, our- you know, they, they use it just for, they use us just for the initial design. And then, um, you know, the architects um, or, you know, people who are on site will take it the rest of the way. So yeah. how much, how much of the, what am I trying to say? Like, in theater, you place lights on a plot, and then the Emmy usually figures out exactly where cables are running all. Do you have to figure out where all the cables are run and power and what size cables and all? Um, we we don't figure out um, how the cables run or usually the size cable. Um, it I do a little bit more than some architectural lighting designers because our um, the firm that I currently work for, I've worked for for a couple of years, um, is a lighting design group that's at an engineering firm. So um, we tend to, I, I tend to have to go a few steps further because usually the electrical engineer is also within my company. So I work with them and we do have to sort of uh, present a full package to the client. Um, lighting design firms that are just lighting design firms will essentially do it fairly similar to theater where you lay out your lights and you lay out your control intent, right? Like sort of grouped how things are grouped. Um, and maybe you, uh, sort of describe, um, maybe you have a sheet that says what the control is. Um, we call it a one line diagram, essentially how things are hooked up. Um, so like dimmer rack going to, you know, whatever the control is, um, and all that. Um, and then it gets sent off to the project and whoever the electrical engineer is sort of figures out all the power. Um, because I work at an electrical engineering firm, I, I do sometimes do a little bit more, <laughs> a few further steps into uh, control and power than than normal. 
So did you have to learn stuff about architectural drawings? Um, yeah, you know, the, the, the drawings, I would say are not too different. I did, I did had to, I did have to, um, learn new programs. Um, I didn't actually know AutoCAD previously because as a theatrical lighting designer, I, uh, Vectorworks was my, uh, Yeah, I never said on your resume. I was like, I don't think I've ever met a lighting designer who was like, oh yeah, I can switch back and forth between the two of them. I, you know, it's, it's a much harder for me now because I'm, 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 uh, I'm not in Vectorworks very often. And actually these days I'm actually not even in AutoCAD very often. I work primarily um, in Revit, which is um, a 3D uh, drawing program from Autodesk. So it's not necessarily CAD adjacent. It's a completely different program, um, but it is uh, pretty much becoming the architectural standard. Um, some projects are still in CAD, but for the most part, it's Revit because it's it's 3D and you everything is in that one 3D model. So you you link in like the electrical model and the mechanical model and the plumbing mo model, and then the program will tell you where you have you know a duct that crosses a pipe and tells you where that those is problems excellent. are. That is so yeah. cool. Is that a newer program? Um, it's, I don't know when it's, it's, it's been around for a bit. I want to say maybe 10 years, but it, within the last like five years, it's been used more and more. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, um, uh, previous to the last couple years, a lot of our projects, we would just do the lighting in CAD and then like send it to the architect and they would like put it in the Revit model for us. But more and more lighting designers are being expected to know it. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's definitely becoming more of a standard and because again because I work for an electro electrical or a an uh, engineering firm uh because they because the electrical engineers work in it we kind of had to learn it and catch up is it awesome. somewhat similar to AutoCAD so you at least knew the basics of how to what the symbols meant and all or is it like a completely it's, new program yeah it's um it's kind of new it, you know it's I think once you learn a drafting program, it it doesn't take as much to learn others, right? I I, I think mm -hmm. CAD I I learned pretty quickly because of Vectorworks, and I think the same thing with Revit. There's just um, part of the 3D makes it um, it just adds a whole nother level um, of of complexity. Um, and there is, you know, if something is, if, if a light is not showing up in a view that I want it to show up in, there's like 30 reasons why it's not doing that. <laughs> so it, um, we, we actually, uh, like our billing rates are higher if a project's in Revit because it just takes a lot longer. Um, it can do cool things if we really wanted to put even more time into it. Um, most architectural companies, uh, you can download the Revit files off their website of like what the lighting fixture looks like. And so you can actually put it in the 3D model to make it look like what the fixture looks like um we don't do that because it because it's it's just much easier to have like set families <laughs> that are um that are uh typical throughout um, but it can do pretty cool things but the downside is that it means there's a lot of things that can go wrong <laughs> right yeah yeah that's the one thing with computer programs, it's like, oh, good, it can do something. And then I'm like, I, I don't know why it's not doing it. Like, it did it the last five times, and it's not doing it now. I don't know why it's not doing it. I could have just drawn it by hand by now. Yeah. Yeah. Upsides and downsides. It does really good. It can track information really well. Um, you know, there's, there's aside from um, 
exporting to Excel from AutoCAD, there's not really a good way to make like LightWrite style paperwork from AutoCAD. You have to like export it to Excel and then you have it in Excel. Um, but Revit will do a lot of automatic schedules and will sort of sort information in useful ways if you put the information there. So, it, you know, it, it is useful and also infuriating. It's both. <laughs> so how do you have time if you do that full time? How do you have time to freelance and do other gigs? Um, I choose the gigs carefully. <laughs> Smart. Um, and I, you know, usually they'll spread out. I don't overlap them. Um, and, you know, most theaters when they're, when the tech is all day, Saturday, Sunday, and then, you know, six to midnight, um, I leave work a bit early. Um, you know, I'll take a day or two off for focus or another day off if I need a little bit extra time. Um, yeah, if I need to, I'll, I'll use some vacation. Um, but it is, uh, you know, when I'm when I'm in tech for a show, typically it's essentially working two jobs. Um, I'll at right. least do a half day, if not most of a day at work, and then go to the um, and then after that. go to the theater until midnight. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's what I was doing throughout Man of God for the most part was uh, working and then going to the theater, um, <laughs> and then working. Yeah. Somewhere. And then work and then yeah. Um, thankfully, my um, my job is pretty. Um, both flexible and supportive. Um, both of um, my bosses come from a theatrical background. Um, a lot of my coworkers actually don't. They came into it through different ways, but my but my bosses both um, came from theater. Um, and um, in in my review a couple years ago or like last year, I I mentioned that I you know hadn't been doing theater as much recently, and I wanted to get back into it. And they're very supportive of that. And just you know as long as I let them know ahead of time, they could arrange things. Um, and I can I can actually work from home if I need to. So like a couple of days on Man of God, I you know if I work from home, I can work a little bit earlier. And I don't live that far from downtown, so I saved a little bit of driving time and got a little bit more work in um, when I work from home. So yeah, there's there's enough flexibility and support there that um, it it works out. It's tiring, but it works. <laughs> That's what well, I find. Tech isn't super tiring. long. It's not like you're doing it for like a month straight. Yeah. Yeah. That would definitely be because it's a week. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. And I, I have a tendency, um, between all the things I do to be booked pretty solid generally, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, between, uh, roller derby and chalk rep and any other shows I take and work, I, I'm, I'm pretty constantly moving. <laughs> so it's just sort of what I, what I'm pretty used to doing. So chalk awesome rep. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's awesome that you're in a position that you can choose the shows you want to do and that you're not stuck taking shows because they pay well or because, you know, you think you have to for connection purposes, which is yeah. always I, good. It tends <laughs> to be, you know, I when directors that I know and I work with a lot approach me and it's, in a, you know, I, people, people that I know or uh, projects that I know, um, Man of God, actually, I literally, I read the, they sent me like the brief on what it was about and it was just such an awesome description. I was like, I have to at least talk. I have to talk to them. <laughs> like, the show sounds awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, the it turned last out great. Line of the description was, and Mimi's out for blood. And I was like, this sounds great. It's like a feminist thriller. <laughs> awesome. So I was, it just <laughs> sounded so much fun that I had, I had to, you know, I had to at least uh, talk to people and, you know, see what it was about. <laughs> then he got roped in with all of mm-hmm. Justin's crazy lights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was, that worked well. I, I really enjoyed that. So Chalk Rep, 
you said they come from, or they came from, um, the beginning people came from San Diego. Is that how you got involved? Because you knew them, or you just... Um, yeah, I actually, um, they were, uh, all of the original members or the founding members were grad students when I was an undergrad. So like, oh, so I it's knew pretty who new. they were, I wouldn't say they necessarily knew me at the time. <laughs> um, but their very first production was a, um, was a production of, uh, three sisters. Um, and it was at Hollywood Forever Cemetery in the, um, lodge there. Um, and they, um, had actually approached, um, a friend of mine, Tom Ontiveros, to light it. Um, and he was a grad student with them, but uh, he was also my mentor um, as, as an undergrad. Um, and I sort of forced him into being my mentor years after graduating because uh, <laughs> he's good at that. Uh, and so he, um, he was the designer and they, um, but he was also really busy with a bunch of stuff at the time. So essentially I came on board as like his associates and ended up doing, um, he did a bit of video and I did a lot of the lighting. So I, I, I lit the very first production 10 years ago. Um, and then like a year later ran off to grad school. Um, and then when I came back, still sort of knew them and started working with them again. So I've only been a company member for a few years, but um, I worked with them 10 years ago. <laughs> but you did their an inaugural mm-hmm. production. Yeah. How do you like working in a cemetery? Cindy does it all the time. <laughs> I do actually. I really enjoy it. Uh, it was good. I mean, we, you know, we weren't, we were in the the lodge, so we weren't necessarily, um, you know, out in the tombstones. Um, although, you know, I'm sure as soon as we have the right play and, uh, cemetery allowing us to as a site-specific theater we will completely be willing to do that (laughs) (laughs) catacombs are very damp and cold and tape sticks to nothing Mm -hmm. just so you know nothing yes tape is difficult i we we work a lot at a at a, a catholic cathedral just outside of downtown that um is you know was built I don't know, hundred years ago is very old. And it, um, similarly, like the, we're not allowed to use a lot of really sticky tape and then the tape we can use like blue tape, it just comes right off. And <laughs> yep. there's, there's just not enough power anywhere. Right. Those old, those old buildings just don't have enough power for uh-huh. anything. Yeah. And then there's 500 cables run 30 feet to just do one thing. Yeah. yeah. There's a generator. And, 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 in, a, and in, a, in a cathedral like that, I can't leave the lights overnight. They have, you know, service and things so it's like uh, my poor stage manager had to like set them up and put them and and strike them like after every show it wasn't super extensive but it was still plenty <laughs> yeah because then you, you have to set them but then you have to make sure they're plugged in you have to make sure they're more or less focused the right way mm-hmm. wow yeah. good. that's a good yep. job for a stage manager not something yeah, they usually I mean, have to do. The church had a lot of lights already there that, I, you know, were just, okay, make sure it's on this setting or, you know, at this level for the lights that were there. But, you know, a few of those spaces needed a little extra light. So and we definitely <laughs> prefer spaces where we can at least leave the lighting over a weekend <laughs> and not have to strike them every day. When I did the show at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, it was the same thing. Like, we couldn't have anything in the space during museum hours. Mm-hmm. So the museum would close at four I think and so we would literally come in at four and we have to like push all of our stuff like seating props risers audience stuff lighting sound everything like down these like three hallways and then set up an entire show and then do a performance and then strike the entire show and put it back into the storage room it was a little crazy they let us keep some cables like up on the balcony because we were able to like hide them a little bit yeah but Mm -hmm. everything else had to come and go on a daily basis it was intense 
We, uh, we actually did, um, we did a, I wouldn't say production. Uh, we have like a festival that we do, um, that we did at the natural history museum. Um, I think I was actually working on Halloween Horror Night, so I wasn't able to light it. So a friend of mine, uh, we got involved to do it, but similarly, because it's the natural history museum, they couldn't yeah. leave things. Uh, but the way it's, it's a festival that we do over a couple of years, um, called flash fest that essentially we pick a location and a topic. And then we have a, a bunch of playwrights come through and there's three weekends with, um, three to five different uh, playwrights every weekend writing a 10 to 15 minute piece um, for the site specific for that specific location around the topic. Um, so essentially because the, um, and then they, you know, they rehearse for a couple days and then they do like one weekend and then it's different for three weekends. Um, so because it's a very, um, Fluid. Uh, it's very fluid. I call it like gorilla. Usually my lighting, my, you know, site specific lighting called very sort of gorilla lighting. You're like coming into a space, like what can I do? What's already there? Mm -hmm. Um, what can come in sort of fast and, and, um, get struck fast. Um, I, th I think it, uh, that helped. Right. So the, you know, there was a lighting center and she, she made some pretty cool, I think there was like, she had a cabinet, um, that had lights within it so it essentially rolled out and like plugged in and then you'd open the doors and there was lights oh, inside um yeah cool idea. he's very talented <laughs> um yeah it was very very useful yeah i should remember that yeah it's like a stage manager box or a prop box but with lighting already yeah. plugged in yeah, that's great plus you can yeah, change I don't out know gels right there specific to one piece but it definitely was very useful i'm sure wow that's really cool now, now I'm looking at Chalk's webpage because you've you've <laughs> talked about it and I've heard about them and uh, yeah. a past show that you guys you were on was Death of Cockroaches and we we mm -hmm. talked to uh, uh, Haley Haley too and she was mm -hmm. doing that show and I just remember a wall of uh, dildos. That's yes. all I remember about that show. <laughs> I didn't yes, see it. I just heard was. about it. There was a wall <laughs> of glory holes and then there was. Um, there was, I like to say, a prosthetic puppetry, um, <laughs> mostly because I was trying to describe the scene to my coworkers in an appropriate way to be discussing um, in a coworker situation. So it was a, <laughs> that is not a theater? wall of holes with, with prosthetics. prosthetics. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was actually a very unusual show for Chalk because it was actually in a theatrical space. Um, it just worked for the that particular production. But um, we do... Um, uh, primarily new works or sort of reimagined classics, um, uh, typically site specific. Those are like all my favorite kind of things. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a writers group. So Death and Cockroaches is a play um, uh, that was written by um, the head of a writers group, um, and I believe he wrote it in in writers group, or at least was developing it in writers group. Um, so yeah, we definitely you know as as uh, new plays come through a writers group, we like to you know look into seeing what we can possibly produce. Um, it's also just, you know, uh, there's, there's a certain amount of chemistry to what we do, you know, plays that we, that we, um, that someone in the company reads and gets passionate about. Um, but then also we have to find some kind of uh, proper location to marry it to. And sometimes it'll happen the other way around where we'll either find a location or sometimes locations approach us about, um, about doing work. Um, our next, um, uh, production is uh, Space Flash. It's it's uh, sort of a one week version of uh, the Flash Fest I just described, um, but it's at um, it's down in Downey. Um, there's a um, space center there, and they're doing a fiftieth uh, whole festival for the fiftieth celebration of the moon landing. 
Um, so we have five different site-specific pieces um, um, around their museum that will be uh, going throughout uh, the day for a few different days during their festival. Does that have... People just go to the event and get to catch our plays. So it's like five or ten minute pieces and every mm-hmm. 15 minutes they repeat for so many hours a day? Um. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's between I think I want to say it's like between noon um, and like five or six. Um, they do repeat. I don't think it's every 15 minutes. It's like once an hour. So like within an hour, you can see all the different pieces. OK. Um, and you and it's certainly um, I believe you can like sort of just kind of wander by and go, oh, what's that? And you end up watching it. Right. So there's 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 definitely ushers that will be sort of bringing people from piece to piece. Um, but, you know, it's free admission. People can it's it's in the museum space. And then, so you guys are writing pieces for this, for like specifically for those locations? Yeah, so, so we had five playwrights who visited the locations. Um, and, the, you know, they're all um, somewhat related to space. And um, the uh, so it, part of the reason that there is the Space Center in Downey is that there's a... Um, there was a facility there. Um, I'm, I'm trying to speak kind of generally because I don't want to get into the history wrong. Uh, but there's a facility <laughs> there that worked on a lot of uh, the pieces for the launch. Yeah, there's um, so a there's, lot of aerospace around. Yeah, so Elsa Gundo, so LA area. Yeah, exactly. So it's so, so um, several of um, several of the pieces sort of relate to um, those uh, engineers and you know their experiences and yeah, and the actual history. How long? I mean, I probably should changes between every piece, but how far in advance do you have to find? a location or do you come up with the piece to do a location? Cause oftentimes I feel like that takes a long time just to find a place and work out all the details of that yeah. location. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely does. Um, I mean, some of the flash fests we can do a bit quicker uh, because just the process, the creation of the pieces um, uh, is not too long a drawn out uh, process. And we, we've done the process enough times that like we're, we're very, we're pretty familiar with it. We know how it works. Um, but yeah, finding locations is definitely a thing. Um, we're you know we're working on um, a couple um, full productions for next year, um, and yeah, because it's all about developing the relationship. And then there's a lot of logistics that goes into um, yes. doing site specific. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, you know, a full length production we we need a bit more a bit more lead time to work out. So that's usually about a year in advance. And is it? Chalk is a company group. Do you guys bring in people from the outside or do open auditions or do you have to find shows that fit the people you have in your company? We 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 bring in outside people. The the company um it's not um it's it's not a company uh it's it's an artistic circle. So the 14 of us um are essentially we essentially run the company. Uh we do have an artistic director who leads us um and that position changes every couple of years sort of depending on who's where. Um and the the company of 14 is a pretty good mix of um of experiences. Um so we have um a, a TD a technical director from CTG um as well as um a, a, an actor who also works as a producer producer for them. We have um actors, uh playwrights, um directors, you know, we as a company um we have a lot of diverse experience. Um but we are essentially the company is essentially the producing entity. So um 
you know, we're just the driving force between what happens. And company members will get cast in things. Um, you know, unless I'm not available, I usually end up doing lighting. Um, but we we bring in plenty of uh, a lot of outside people. We'll have open auditions. Um, you know, there's there is certainly like a list of um, of creative talent that have worked with us multiple times, um, which is great. But we also um, have open auditions. Do you have many actors in the company? I feel like so many companies are basically just actors, and it sounds like you guys are mostly um, production people. We we do have actors. A lot of them are um, double or triple threats. So, um, you know, we we have people who um, are directors and actors. Um, but you know, we we have a few, or or actors who are also producing, right? Um, so I'd say. Have, you know, 50 to 75% of our company acts in some capacity, but they also, mm-hmm. most of them also um, have other skills as well. That's really cool. So they do, we definitely know, depending yeah. on the script, I, you know, there'll certainly be interest of, um, you know, who, or when we do readings, we do a fair amount of readings, um, you know, and especially with readings, we'll try to pull from within the company where we can and then seek outside where we can. Yeah. So you guys don't, I'm assuming, don't have like a set schedule, like you do a show in August, you do a show in November. It just depends on the location and what you guys have going. Yeah, it definitely, it's definitely a bit more fluid. Um, yeah, it's what what um, projects have worked out. Um, but we do, you know, it, there's, it's, it's um, at least currently, it's sort of a mix of different um different producing styles, right? So we have the, um, the Flash Fest. Um, we... Are, um, we're actually really excited. I'm, uh, we're all really excited. I've, I don't have much to do with this because this is all because it's all um, uh, auditory. But we are um, working on a um, new series um, that is essentially a um, audio play um, that uh, you download, um, and I, I want to say it's about 15 minutes, um, and it's uh, site specific to a location in LA. Um, and then it's part of an app that as the story is being told and you're going for the walk, you scan different um, uh, um, uh, landmarks in the walk that sort of trigger the next part of the story. So it's essentially a site-specific audio play, um, which do- we've been developing for a while. But I, uh, we, uh, we, we are in production with the first one, which we should have um, pretty soon. How does That's that- so awesome. Yeah, how does that work? work? Is it We've like been working Pokemon? with an app developer who's, who's okay. developing the app with us. Um, we have a uh, sound designer and an audio engineer on board. Um, there's a lot of timing with the playwright. Uh, they keep going out to the site, you know, listening to what they have, timing it out. Um, yeah, I think that's it, part of the reason it's... it's, it's uh, it's definitely been in, in in pre-production for a while because of the logistics of the app and how that all works. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, but it's been pretty game. exciting. We're all yeah, it's it's very new. Um, there was not you know already a platform that we could do that kind of thing on. Right. Um, so yeah, we're pretty excited about that. So you know even if um, and we always have a lot of things a lot of things stirring. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask, does your artistic director? You said that rotates a lot, but. Do you guys all kind of just come up with ideas on what goes best? Or do you have like yearly meetings and you're like, okay, this is what we're going for this year? Or is it, how does we, that work? 
we meet uh, we meet once a month and then um, once or twice a year we'll do like a retreat that's just a longer meeting where we talk a bit more about not just sort of the immediate future but sort of the longer picture uh-huh. um, and um, you know it's not there's not like a set rotation for the artistic director it's kind of you know we don't want to burn anyone out um, so um, yeah we uh, and and that person um, uh, tends to pro- it tends to be lead producer on certain things, but is also just re- doing the overall, you know, company management. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do, you know, we uh, other members also produce. Um, but it, it is, you know, we have discussions um, uh, within the group of, um, you know, uh, someone proposing a play, and we, you know, we all read it, and you know, usually there'll be a reading that we'll go to, and we'll discuss it and see if it's sort of right for our model, or you know. If any, what ideas we have, um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely um, an amazing creative family to have. And the yeah, people who are, because these are all production people, do those same fourteen members also do the accounting, payroll, contracts, marketing, all that? We uh, we have um, one of our one of our members um, who uh, is an actress. Um, it does is also our finance manager. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's essentially, it's, you know, we pay her to do it. We, we, you know, we have a grant that, um, that covers certain things. Um, and yeah, so she, she takes care of any of the financial stuff. Yeah. They don't teach much finance contracts, all of that in school. So that's cool that she knows how to do it yeah. and is willing to take that on. Well, she does, yeah. She does any of our basic, um, yeah, we, you know, a couple of company members, um, have, you know, dealt with the contract, um, you know, getting um, the different union contracts um, for shows, um, you know, have those connections. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is just the experience of 10 years um, of doing theater in LA. Um, you know, I've only been with the company for a few years, but, you know, a, a number of those members have been doing it for quite a while. So they just know the process of how to get those um, uh, union contracts settled and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. How do you become part of the company just work and they ask you or is there like you have to apply and do paperwork or you just kind of um, get it's sucked def- in it's definitely an ask yeah it's you know there's there's a certain number that we like to keep the membership at but you know people move and people get busy and um you know uh yeah so it's it's a it's a company discussion of you know do we do we need more people who do we think um who do we think would be a nice a good mix who a good match yeah it's a it's a company discussion that's excellent, though. Then you're just not hiring random people and see if they work out. You kind of talk yeah, to everyone. And it, and it's usually people who have worked with us um, before or multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how they work and if they work well mm-hmm. and they have the same ideas and <laughs> like going into found spaces. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. I'm going to have to check out more of the shows or any of the shows. I'm terrible at going to see shows. <laughs> Uh, kind of not theater related, but how did you get into roller derby? <laughs> your pictures are um, like half of your pictures on Facebook are roller derby and they look I, amazing. Like all I, of the pictures look amazing. <laughs> there is a lot of, of pictures. We have some fantastic photographers that come to our games. Um, it, so <laughs> it's a little funny. It, it honestly is just um, one of the common reactions I was getting from people 
like about my last name was, you know, you should be a wrestler. Like you should be a chiropractor. And like other people like you should do roller derby. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that sounds fun. Um, but when I was in grad <laughs> school, one of our PhD, PhD students um, organized a group of people to go see a roller derby game down there. Um, and it was actually bank track. Um, I skate flat on a flat track roller derby. And um, we went to see a banked track game. And um, that's the tilted track kind of like from the movie Whip It. Um, and uh, it uh, was just really exciting. Um, I, I never really, I didn't really do a bike riding as a kid. I did rollerblading. So I was okay. already sort of a skater, even though rollerblades and quads are very different. Um, but yeah, I a couple weeks after I went to the game, I uh, signed up and uh, started uh, doing the training with the league down in San Diego while I was in grad school. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> what, well, what do you do for training? So um, when you're just starting, um, it's uh, that that league called it boot camp. We call it just freshy, your freshy practices. Um, it's just basic skills. So it's um, how to roller skate or uh, mm -hmm. how to stop, right? There's several different stops. Um, falling small is a big one, right? So it's, it's full contact sport. So falling happens. I fall a lot. Um, but if you <laughs> fall really splayed, then people are going to be rolling over your fingers or you're tripping other people. So falling small, right? So there's just, um, uh, before we even get into things like proper hitting or the rules, it's, it's a lot of, um, here's how you skate backwards. Here's how you skate around the track. Here's how you get fast. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a whole skills test before you, um, get onto teams or, uh, start really playing in games. How popular are there a lot of teams in San Diego, or do you have to travel far to There's, play against other people? There are leagues everywhere. Um, it is a favorite game of my husband and I. Where we're, you know, we're like traveling and we're in like a small town. And I'm like, oh yeah, it'd be really, it'd be really nice to live here. And he'd be like, but I bet there's no roller derby. I'd be like, I bet there is. <laughs> um, there's kind of yeah. There's um, so there's so banked track is um, much harder to have. So that's pretty spread out. You, you know, you have to being a, in one of only a handful of cities to do banked track, but flat track, you can have a flat track league anywhere you have flat space. So um, our league in the Valley, we actually have a, um, uh, a specially paved over um, like back parking lot in an industrial area. That's just our space and only our space. Um, but a lot of leagues just rent out skate rinks. Um, they rent out outdoor hockey rinks. Um, or so I've even played games in indoor in, in ice hockey rinks, but they've just been covered. Mm -hmm. um, so really anywhere that there is that you can do like roller hockey or anything like that, uh, you tape out a track and there you go. Um, when we started, actually, when I joined the League in the Valley, we uh, skated both at um, a skate rink and at an outdoor track. We sort of went back and forth. So there's we're in the Valley. There's a banked track league in LA. There is a, another flat track league in LA. Long beach has a team. Um, huh. <laughs> Orange County and the inland empire have somewhere between five and 10 leagues. I want to say, wow. um, San Diego has a couple different leagues. Yeah. There's, um, within a couple hour drive, we can, we can play quite a few different teams. And then we also travel too. I'm on the, the travel team. Um, which means we will uh, sometimes even get on planes to go play games. We the first time I heard about it, Cindy uh, Courtney from Courtney does it, yeah, yeah. We met her. She's from Michigan. We met her while we Michigan. were studying in London, and mm -hmm. yeah, she does roller derby. And 
Yeah, and then I saw that you did it. I was like, oh, more than just one person does it. But she she's part of a league out in yeah. Detroit now, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, London has a, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's probably several leagues in London, but one of them is uh, like one of the top um, five or ten leagues. Um, it's And it's international. The, the number one league, um, oh, did they just go to number two? I can't remember, uh, is in Australia. Uh, Portland is the other one of the really top leagues. Oh, Portland um, is international. Sense. Yeah, I can see Portland being a big yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were definitely number one for several years. Are there a lot of injuries on it, or just mostly bruises? It's you know I um I've I know like been TV playing... shows and stuff like yeah. over dramatize it, but I just feel like yes. I would be so scared the whole time. They super dramatize it. it. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I'm bruised a fair amount, you know, it, it in varying sizes. Um, I've never had an injury more, um, serious than like a sprained ankle. I've sprained a couple ankles. Um, but like any, any full contact sport, you know, we, that certainly broken bones happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I've, I've never had that injury, but I, the way I see it is, you know, probably at the same rate as let's say like soccer or something else that um, mm-hmm. is a lot of contact. I don't know I mean, anything even about the rules. What what is? I mean, what's the point <laughs> of sports? But like, are are you trying to get a ball from one side to the other? Are you trying to outrace each other in circles? Like, what do what are you there, doing? There are no balls. Perfect. Yeah. No ball sports. It's my husband's favorite joke to take uh to take our friends to games and like about where the ball is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I don't know what I'm watching, but everyone so, has cool outfits. <laughs> yeah. So my my quick uh like like bar description, like you know, chat when you're in a bar, um, of the game is uh there's a uh track, um, you know, we go in a circle. Um five skaters from each team are on the track at a time and um one skater from each team is a jammer um she has a cover on her helmet that has a star on it um so when the whistle blows uh the jammers start behind the rest of the pack which is the other eight skaters um and the jammers have to get through that pack it is the job of the blockers which are the other skaters to stop the jammer from getting through or to help their own jammer get through um, once those jammers get through the pack, um, every skater they pass on the other team after that initial pass is one point. So that's the basic game. It's broken up into um, each jam is two minutes or less. Um, it can be less because whichever jammer gets out of the pack first is the lead jammer. And she is there and uh, given the power of ending the jam whenever she wants, as long as she doesn't get a penalty. So um, essentially, uh, she goes around, she gets her points, she passes the skaters on the other team, and she ends the jam before the other jam jammer can get points. Um, or oh. we go the full two minutes and points are had by all. Man, so not only do you have to like pay attention to get past people, you then have to watch what the other people are doing. Yeah, there's there you definitely have to, there's a lot of what we call pack awareness is just knowing what's going on on the track. Um, for it's probably um, one of the few sports that you can go back and forth between playing offense and defense real fast. Um, I, you know, I, as a blocker, um, I might be blocking their jammer, um, and while I'm doing that, see a really quick opportunity to hit one of the other blockers out of my jammer's way or vice versa. Um, there's a lot of real quick offense defense. Um, and there are, um, you know, uh, 
contrary to, um, I think, popular belief or sort of the roller derby of the 70s, um, there are, or some, probably also some of the dramatized TV shows, um, there are rules with how we can hit each other. There's no arms, there's no elbowing, there's no uh, tripping. Um, it's a, You're essentially using your hips or your shoulders. Um, there's a lot of rules and there's a very large officiating team. So we have a lot of lovely volunteers who volunteer their time to be on skate refs and off skate refs and they, uh, you know, call penalties and there's a lot of rules. <laughs> there's a lot of rules you can break and get penalties for. On skate, but you mean they're actually like in the rink with you? They're not in the rink. They're on the ins and the outs. So there's okay. um, usually three three um, refs on the outside, one before the pack, one mid pack, and one outside the pack watching. And then inside the pack, there's several more. Um, each jammer has their own ref. There is a jam ref whose sole job, not sole job, they 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 can call penalties as well, but they're they're the ones keeping track of the points. And they're communicating to um, uh, off-skate officials that are writing all the scores down. Um, there's more off-skating officials that are running the penalty box. Yeah, there's a lot of volunteers that go into <laughs> a roller derby game. If every round is two minutes, how many rounds is a game? Or is it until you get to a certain number of points? Yeah, it's, um, it's two halves of 30 minutes. Um, and a, a two minute jam is usually they're less. Usually whoever's the lead jam calls it off. Uh, you hit, you usually strategically, you'll only hit two minutes if a, the lead jammer, um, gets a penalty. Cause once she gets a penalty, she no longer has lead jammer status. So she can't call off the jam. Um, or if, if that one, if, if one jammer is out and going, but that other jammer just cannot get past that wall, you, that jammer is just not going anywhere. It behooves the jammer who is to just keep getting points, right? And that poor jammer is stuck in the wall. Stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very hard, a hard job to be a jammer because you, you essentially have a target on your back, right? All the blockers are out to get you. <laughs> it's very do, hard. It takes a lot of stamina your... and endurance. So you don't rotate jammers. It's just like a position that you you play like you, goalie or you rotate in between jams. So you can't rotate mid jam, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, you usually will have a rotation of three or four jammers. So they get a break in between jams um, and the blockers do too. So there's the roster is about uh, usually uh, 13 to 15 skaters. Um, so in a typical game, um, depending on the team, I'll, I'll block every other jam, sometimes every third jam. Um, and the jammers get, um, again, assuming you have at least three to rotate, they get a break in between because it's very tiring. <laughs> Yeah, you know, sometimes in our game, you know, sometimes you have a reduced uh, roster. If you only have eight or nine skaters, then you're skating more in it. Yeah, because it's almost is it all like just volunteers? So it's whoever can show up pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, in a league, we we we're pretty structured. So usually the roster is, um, made ahead of time. Um, and we, you know, we like to have an alternate. So if someone does get sick or has a family emergency, we have an alternate we can put in. Um, but sometimes when you're traveling, right, if it's a, if it's a, a game that involves, um, a flight, you might not be able to fly 15 people. So sometimes mm -hmm. when teams come to play us, they have fewer skaters because of that. Um, yeah. So then you have to limit your skaters that way? Or no. is that a rule? No, we can, you can have 15 play against eight. You're still going to have five and five on the track at the same time. It just means that the one team is probably going to get more tired. Um, mm -hmm. We also have, so we have two different um, 
uh, types of teams on our in our league. We have the travel teams that you try out to be on and that you play other leagues. But then we also have home teams, which essentially is our league is divided into three teams and the three teams play each other. So each of those teams is actually made up of varying levels of skater. So you might have someone uh, like me who's been playing for a long time. And then you might have someone who um, has just passed basic skills and it's sort of their first gaming experience. So it's a mixed experience. Um, and those teams, because it's just within our league, um, you know, sometimes people are out of town and like availability or injured. Right. Um, and sometimes you just have not a full roster <laughs> and you uh, work hard or harder <laughs> than normal. <laughs> it happens. That's what I was thinking with soccer. I don't know if this happens in baseball, but I remember a number of games when we played soccer where all of a sudden on one team, there wasn't enough players, but then to even it out, the other team had to have that same number of players. Mm. And I forget like what the numbers were, you know, but like if they were missing yeah. the third backup or what you know like the yeah. other team had to even it out just so that it was even mm -hmm. so i didn't know if that but was that was a... just how many people were on the field right but that's what i'm saying well yeah i mm -hmm. guess so because they only have five people on the field or track whereas opposed to soccer has a ton yeah. of people out there that's true yeah if you have a roster of nine it just means you know eight or nine it just means people have to skate back to back and they just don't get breaks mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> then they come off dripping wet and we're like, oh my God, give me some water. Yeah, it can get tiring. <laughs> that is but it's so a lot cool. of fun and it's sort of built in. I'm not very good at making myself work out, but, <laughs> but, but going to practice is a workout. Yeah. And I, you know, I would probably be, well, I would most definitely be even better at roller derby if I did more cross training and did a lot more working out outside of practice. And <laughs> when you're not working. That, I'm sure that helped. It, it took me quite a while to get to, to be on the aimed a travel team. And I'm sure that's why. <laughs> but that's also another thing I like about roller derby is, you know, there's certainly, we certainly have skaters who join and like just have a lot of natural athletic ability and like move up real fast because they're just getting it right. They're just really good at mm -hmm. sports. But it's it's also a sport that someone like myself, who's only like, I was only ever sort of okay at sports. Um, but I, but I really enjoy it. Right. And I, and I, you know, it takes me longer to learn certain things, but, um, but I'm having fun doing it. And uh I think it's a sport that um, I think that's, what, that's also partly why we have the home teams, too, is um, so that, you know, people who are, you know, newer, um, still working on skills, still get that gaming experience, still get to, to play in an exciting game. Plus, it's less time say. commitment flying somewhere or driving three hours away to go to a game. <laughs> Sure. Yes, there's definitely um, there's there's definitely that, too. We certainly have a couple of skaters who could be on travel teams, but just for time commitments um, or whatnot, stay just on the home teams. So there's fireworks going off here. My case. Oh. About there's how fireworks I do too much stuff. Twin, join a roller derby team. Well, you know, do a roller derby travel team. My, my husband also travel. talks to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> he literally was just like, you do too much, you do too much, you do too much, stop doing so much. And then mm -hmm. I'm listening to you and I'm like, dude, I don't do that much. I don't know what you're talking I, about. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is also something I hear from my husband. <laughs> I hear it from Cindy's husband. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You now have to hear it from my husband too about trying to stop working so much. <laughs> I feel like, like can you listen to this podcast? She has like two full time jobs and she has roller derby and she still freelances. So I think I'm okay. Only one full time. <laughs> yeah, let's not exaggerate. I mean, definitely, it balances. When I'm working on a show, obviously, I can't do roller derby as much. Um, and when I was freelance, I really was much more on and off with it because I'd have to be in tech more constantly or like I still did shows in San Diego, so I'd be out of town. So I was much less consistently at practice. <laughs> 
My extracurricular activity is D&D. I sit at a table with other theater people. (laughs) No physical activity. I had friends who tried to do that, and I literally, I was like, I can never make the times for it. <laughs> it no, it's, it's hard. It's one of those yeah. things that I would like, would love to do more if I had like two lifetimes to fill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I feel you there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're getting the text saying it's a. Uh... We're running close on time, so one last question: uh, yes. Do you have any twin stories? Doesn't have to be theater so, related. I and I, so I was thinking about this. It's it's less of a story and it's more of a coincidence. Um, <laughs> my uh, so at our office, we you know we we hire interns, um, and both our intern last year and our intern this year are part of a twin set. Not each other's twins. Not they are not twins to each other, but ah. it was just one of those things where both of them, um, you know, are. We had an intern last year for he actually he was in grad school in theater and he had started before the summer, but leading into the summer. And then um, our summer intern this year um, started and and just mentioned she was a twin, and we we're like, oh, we just our last intern was a twin. So I don't know <laughs> for some reason we we like to uh, we like to pick twins for intern and interns. I don't know. Excellent. Good. Thank you Again, from less the twin of a world. story and more of a coincidence, but it's fun. I feel uh, like twins in general are just a coincidence. So. Yeah, we're not really a <laughs> planned thing, so. <laughs> Especially identical twins. There's no planning involved in that. Sure. <laughs> okay. That, I, now I want to go watch Roller Derby. Twin, <laughs> when, when, you're back, when you're back out here for the next job, uh, we need to go find a Roller Derby. Well, I'll yeah. be in San Diego, so I hear that's pretty easy to find in San Diego. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely games. They're usually Saturdays. Um, the ones in San Diego, actually, that league likes to do a lot of afternoon. Usually when I'm playing in San Diego, it's in the afternoon as opposed to Saturday night. Um, okay. So that may help uh, or not. It may help, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what my schedule, my tech schedule is like, yeah, that might be useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. And then if you're down there, we can just have a whole exciting thing. And I can post all the pictures on Instagram. <laughs> uh, Looking forward to it. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, this will come out. Well, we always come out on Friday and we're going to put your website and I'll probably connect Chalk's website because, yeah, I've spent half this podcast looking at their <laughs> website. So <laughs> or your website, their website. It's all connected. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. And then I don't know awesome. if I'm around much during uh, Hannah and the Dread Gazebo, but I'll be around a little bit, so I'm excited to see that. I've not seen anything at the Fountain Theater, so it'll be... They have a cute little space there, so I'm excited to see something. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'll be there tomorrow morning. We have a meeting about all the, the magic. <laughs> Lots of magic. I think the, yeah. uh, the first read-through is Monday? Uh, next Monday. Not the not. Is it this coming Monday? I think it's the one after. I, I don't remember. Yeah, I it's in the next week schedule. or two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm worried about what I'm doing right now and tomorrow. <laughs> sure. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.